We are worshiping literally around the world today. We are worshiping on three different continents. Not all of us, uh, not all of the Grace Point family uh, are with us today. Some of them are on the other side of the world. In fact, we're on three different continents, and uh, we want you to hear from uh, some of our family members uh, as they have just sent in videos literally this morning. And so we've captured them, and we want you to hear from our family abroad right now. So go ahead and roll that. Any Sogama. Hey guys, good morning. Um, we're here in West Africa with the people group uh, numbering 4.3 million. Um, only 1.1 are evangelical Christians. And that's not okay with me. That's not okay with us. That's not okay with our team. It's not okay with our church. And that's why we have a team in South Asia. That's why we're here in West Africa. And that's why we're praying for you guys as you go out and eat today with your family and friends and you go to the office tomorrow that you would have the boldness and confidence to share Christ with those who don't know it. So be praying for us. We're going to be in villages equipping and empowering the believers there to share their faith with people who don't know Jesus. We love you guys. We'll see you soon. Kambe. Kambe. Good morning, Grace Point. I'm talking to you from the future. As you watch this, it's almost Sunday night here in South Asia. We're getting ready to go to bed. Our team has arrived safely, and we are looking forward to hitting the ground running in the villages tomorrow. Prophet Isaiah asked an interesting question in Isaiah 53. He said, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This week, our ladies are going to be talking with women that feel like they have no value. They've been told that they are worthless, and we are going to communicate to them the message of God, that they, are been, they have been created, they are loved, and that God has a purpose for their life. So I hope that you'll be praying, not for us, but for those that hear the message, that they will know that there is a God that loves them. And the impact of this trip will ripple throughout eternity. Well, it's exciting to, to think that we're reaching around the world. And missions is one of kind of our big rocks around here. A big rock uh, is something that you value and that you deem as important. It's one of those, uh, those things that we put on the ground and we, we build our foundations off of it. It's what, what we came back from, our, my family came back from Africa uh, because we wanted to start, if we felt led to start a church that would have at the very heart and the core uh, the world uh, at its heart and reaching the world world uh, at its heart. And interesting thing is, is we ask you the same questions. What is it that is most important uh, about Grace Point? And you are Grace Point. And so we asked you that a few weeks ago. We had you put it on a little uh, post-it note and stick it on a whiteboard out in the, out in the gallery area. And we collected all of those. There were like 45 different responses. And the number one answer out of every answer that was given was missions. So I would say that you would believe and I would believe that it's being transferred down, that, that, that absolutely the nations, those who do not know Christ, uh, is a big bucket, big rock issue for us that we take as a very high priority. Now, this whole big rock thing is not in my, is not my metaphor. Stephen Covey in his book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, first leadership book that I ever read coming out of college was this book, and it talks about these big rocks. It talks about putting the big rocks in first and not last. And yeah, I know I, I was going to bring rocks up here and I was going to demonstrate it, but 
for me, I'd probably mess it up. And so I thought, here we'll do, we'll just put a picture up here. So here's a picture of what it might look like. And a lot of us might get up in the morning and we put the sand, the small rocks in first. We, we do all that kind of stuff. When we get up in the morning, we don't, we don't go to the big rock things. We go to social media. Uh, we go to watching uh, the, the, the Today Show. We go to doing those things that catching up on text that we missed over the night. We go to that element of stuff. We get a lot of those small rocks in first. And then and then we go throughout the day, we're thinking about our fantasy leagues. And we go throughout our day, we're thinking about our friendships and our, our relationships and who's dressed better than whom. And, and, and what am I going to get so-and-so for Christmas? We think about extracurricular activities. We think about even uh, even the, uh, the, the whole uh, traveling baseball teams or football teams. We have all this other stuff out there. Now, if those are the big rocks for you, fine, they're the big rocks for you. But many times people would not say that a traveling baseball team that's only going to last a few months is actually a big rock for them. Or social media and how many likes they got on on a particular photo is a big rock for them. But that's the thing that ends up eating away most of our time and our attention. And therefore, we don't have time for the big rocks. Because we fill it up, if you look at at the, the, the jar on the left, we fill it up, first of all, with all the small stuff, all the insignificant stuff, all the stuff that's not going to matter. But the jar on the right that has the same amount of rocks, that has the same amount of everything, when you put the big rocks in first, you get the big things in first, then you're able to fill in and everything else is able to flow together when we get the main thing, the main thing. We've been talking about big rocks, what matters most. And what matters most is a caring community. We talked about that last week. We don't just take our people whenever they fall and kick them out by the road. And we don't just cast stones at people and we don't cast judgment. Listen, we need to be one of those families that reaches into the junk in the mire, pulls people out. We need to do one another with one another well. We need to hold one another accountable. We need to love one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to exhort one another. There's a lot of one another's in scripture. All right. We need to have a community that cares. And also we talked about, you know, what really matters is people who don't know Jesus. That's why we have two teams right now around the world. That's why we're encouraging you to go across the street and around the world. So that's what matters. But the number one thing that matters in the midst of all of this is God and knowing God and worshiping God. All these come together. All these fit together to create a beautiful picture, a puzzle synergy, if you will, that makes things work well. We put the big rocks in first. We're talking about big rock number four, and that being today that I go through a transformation. Big rock number four is my own transformation. This is when we get to talk about me, myself, and I. What do I get out of this? It's not just the community over there. It's not just the people without Jesus. What do I get out of this? You get to be changed. You get to be remade. You get to be remodeled. You get to be uh, renovated. That's exactly what God wants to do in us. Is He wants to change us and make us something. We're going to talk about what He's going to make us here in a moment. But let's just kind of uh, dwell on that for a moment. D.L. Moody, a great evangelist a lot of years ago in the 19th century, he, uh, he made this statement about the Bible. The Bible was not given to increase our knowledge but to change our lives. I think it must have been November. He had the big beard. No shave November uh, was going on at that time for Mr. Moody. But changing our life is what the scripture is about. This is about a change. 
a rearrangement, a transformation of our life. This is a big bucket item. This is a big rock that we need to focus in on. What we need to ask the question is, why was I made? Why do I get another day? Why did God choose me to live and somebody else? Why, why, why am I here? And here it is. I was made to look like my maker. I know that sounds real simple and real trite, but listen, I was made to look like my... The reason I was made, the reason God made me was so that I would look like Him. Let's go back to the very beginning. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 23. The very first book, the very first chapter, you find this statement uh, in, in, in verse, uh, excuse me, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image... After our likeness, the reason God put breath in you, the reason God put you here, the reason God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden was so that they would look like him. Now think about that. Let that kind of stir in you a little bit. Let that that, that excite you a little bit. He flung all the stars into space. He didn't turn around and say, you know, I put those out in space because they look like me. You know? He didn't create the little cur- uh, animals that, cr- cr- whatever, c- go on the ground and, uh, and, uh, and scurry on the ground. That's the word I was looking for. Scurry on the ground. And uh, he didn't make them to look like him. He made you and me. He made us to look like him, to carry his image. That is a, that is a mind-blowing thing. We are the only creation that God breathed life into. Dwell on that. There's some significance behind that. The problem is, is in chapter 1 is a beautiful chapter, but chapter 2, the wheels start falling off the bus. Chapter 3, it's really ugly. We realize that we sin. We fall. We mess up. This, this walk was once beautiful and good and perfect and right and everything was good and all in order. And then all of a sudden it comes and we find that man sins. Let me just say, this has been a problem, and it's going to be a problem, and it'll be a problem in your children, it'll be a problem in my grandchildren. It will be a problem, and I have to deal with this problem, and this problem of sin is huge. It mars, it messes up what God designed. God designed us to look like Him, all right? Who is God, and how do we look like God, and what does that look like? In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we kind of get a picture of what sin did to us. For all have sinned, and they fall short of the glory of God. Now, we've talked for several weeks now about the glory of God, how the glory of God is the density of God, the fullness of God, the, the height, the breadth, the depth of God. The, if you want to measure God, you, you don't measure Him by feet and inches and miles and, and mass. You measure Him by glory. That is who He is. That is the fullness of God. So it is, he, he is His own measurement. And what, what does it say? There? It says, Our sin has caused us to miss the fullness of God. To miss that glory of God, that fullness of God, the image of God. We are missing it because we have sinned. Insert Jesus. Insert Jesus into the conversation now. When you walk into this room, everything changes. Let's talk about this. At Christmas time, we celebrate Jesus walking into earth. When Jesus comes into this earth, everything changes. 
Because now we're going to start seeing a pathway. A pathway to, to, to redemption. A pathway to reclaiming that image, that likeness of God. We're going to start seeing this calling of God upon our lives to be like Him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says this. It says, for those He foreknew, He predestined. To be conformed to the image of God, the image of His Son. We were, we were predestined. We were, we were called out. God predetermined that He wanted us to look like Him. But the problem is, is there's the sin. The sin has marred that. The sin has messed that up. The Phillips translation puts it like this. God, in His foreknowledge, chose them to bear the family likeness of his son. Here's a life principle for you. God made you. God made you, he made me to reflect him, to be the image bearer of him. He chose you, not a snail. He chose me, not a worm. He chose us, not the stars to bear his image. His star, the stars are galaxies. They're beautiful. They're breathtaking. The sun sets and the sun rises. Uh, I can look at them day after day and on end. But in the reality, he wants you, he wants me, he wants us to bear, to reflect, to resemble, to carry the very image of God. Let that fully sink in. And then ask yourself, How do I, how do I carry, how do I bear, how do I exude, how do I reflect the image of God in my marriage, with my children, with my neighbors, how I handle my money, my attitude, how I deal with strangers, how, how, how do I deal with my thought life? Yes, right down to the simple thoughts. The food that we eat, it even talks about that in 1 Corinthians. The idea is that in every area of our life, it should bear, it should reflect the image of God. Now, if you're like me, I look in the mirror, oh, that, God, God, you need to look a lot prettier than that. You need to look a lot better than that. When I see my attitude, when I lose it, I go, God. That is nothing like you. We're called. We were made in His image, for His image. And so what matters most is that we are transformed. That that transformation happens in me. Back to His image. God in all of His infinite wisdom, somehow why, why He did what He did when He chose this guy named Saul. Now, just kind of enter into the story a moment. Saul. Saul was a man who hated Christians. Saul was a man, I'm not, I kid you not, he would be like an ISIS person today. If you lived in northern Syria and northern Iraq right now and you went out bearing the name of Christ and calling yourself a Christian, what, you, you know what would happen to you. We've seen it on the news. Your head would be cut off. I hate the gruesomeness of that, but it's true. Well, who in the first century was the most vile, feared, hated the church, hated Christians, 
Anybody more than the Apostle Paul? We know of no one. But yet God in all of his wisdom reached down and all of his grace saved him, redeemed him, transformed him. Oswald Sanders says it like this, his book, The Robust Faith, Robust in Faith. He said, it was a method worthy of God to select the most aggressive and influential enemy of the church, its bitterest persecutor, to transform him into the greatest apostle, the profoundest theologian, the most persuasive apologist, and the most tireless missionary of the church he once aimed to destroy. God transformed a man from a murderer and made him a missionary. If God can do that with an apostle, with a guy named Saul who becomes Paul, how, what, what can he do in us? The, the, the concept of, of, of God transforming us is endless, is infinite. The dark shadows of our own life, he can, he can penetrate it with his, with his light. It is beautiful to see the transforming work of God. We'll be finding in your, in your Bibles the book of Ephesus. Excuse me, the, the, the book of Ephesians. It was written to the church at Ephesus. And we're going to look at this, this book that was written to the church of Ephesus. And, we're, and a few years ago, I don't know, five or six years ago, a team and I were over there and, and, and we were walking literally the streets of Ephesus. And only 20% of, of Ephesus has been uncovered. In fact, uh, I've got some photos here. If you look at the top left-hand photo, that actually is the city of Ephesus coming out of the mound of dirt. They've only uncovered 20% of Ephesus. But yet we're walking the streets. We're in the amphitheater now where uh, in the bottom photo where, where, where actually Paul went on trial. Uh, we're standing in front of a library that, there that was built uh, probably in planning stages when, when Paul and John were walking the streets of Ephesus. And so we're having a letter here that, that we're reading that, that was written to these people, all right? And so it's kind of a surreal moment, if you will. But as you, as you go there with me, I want you to see what, what this once persecutor of the church is now calling the church to. What once who beheaded or stoned Christians is now calling Christians to. If you have your Bibles, look at chapter 4, verse 17. And we'll pick up reading there. Verse 17 says it like this. Now, this I say... And testify in the Lord that you must no longer, notice past tense, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, these are Gentile believers in Ephesus. And he's telling them, you don't keep doing what you've been doing because what you've been doing is this. And then he describes it. And you notice all the descriptive words about it. In the futility of their minds, in the darkened in their understanding, you're alienated from the life of, uh, of God uh, because of the ignorance uh, is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. You just see it kind of building. Each thing is adding to the other. It's another layer of brick uh, on top of another brick. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, um, greedy, uh, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Here's what he comes, he's going to give us three infinitive verbs here. 
Three infinity verbs is this idea of ongoing action that needs to be taking place. So you're going to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of the life in which, uh, uh, which is corrupt and deceitful in desires. And, second infinity verb, you renewed in the spirit of your minds. And third, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. When God, when Jesus transforms us, how does he do that? You know, is it just mind over matter? Is it just behavior modification? What happens when this transforming work happens? How does he transform us? There are three transforming works that Christ does to his followers. I want you to jot them down. I've just pointed them out to you. We're going to come back and reread them in a moment. But you saw those verbs there that were mentioned there. But we're going to kind of break them down now. So one is that we are off with the old way of living. Okay? There's going to be something that's going to be taken off and done away with. I know we kind of live that lifestyle sometimes where we throw caution to the wind. We go out to Vegas and we say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas and we find ourselves being married by Elvis with a tattoo in places that we, we didn't realize we were going to get a tattoo in. And so we, we come out, we live in these moments of momentary insanity and then we try to get backpedal out of them and we regret it all along and not to pick on Vegas if you're a big Vegas person, but, but it's just what we talk about, kind of the way we live sometimes when we're childish, when we're careless, when we're not serious about following Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 even talks about that when you're a child, you spoke like a child, you acted like a child, you, you dressed like a child, you reasoned like a child, you, and now you're a man. Put off those childish things. He calls us to put off these, these old ways of life. He's telling us to change. And just as he said, and as we, as, we, as we will read in verse 22, he calls us to a different kind of life, to a different way of living. Rick Warren in his book, a book I would recommend everyone read every two years, maybe, maybe even every year, I don't know. It'd be a great way to start the new year if you don't know where you're going to go kind of in your walk with God. But uh, what on earth am I here for? In fact, I've been rereading it again, and I've read it probably five or six times. I was rereading it again just this past week. And this quote came out. It said, God's ultimate goal for, our, for your life on earth is not comfort. I know that may shock you, but character development. He wants you to grow up spiritually, become like Christ. Christ-likeness is all about transforming your character, not your personality. I want us to look real quickly at verse 17 through verse 19. Because I real quickly talked about them, but I want to kind of elaborate on them. And I want you to kind of put a mirror up next to yourself for a moment. Because he talks about we should not no longer walk as the Gentiles walked. And then he talks about how the Gentiles walked. And he brings out several words there. He talks about they walked in the futility of their minds. Futility there means emptiness, futile, aimless, shallow thinkers. You ever done anything real quickly that you regret? I can remember one car we bought one time, and we, we, we said this to God. God, 
If you don't want us to buy it, don't let the financing work out. Have you ever met a car dealer who will not let the financing work out? They'll always work it out. Promise you, you may cost you your liver, your plasma, and everything else, but you will get that new, you will get in that new shiny car. Now, no, no offense on the, on the car dealers, you're just doing your job. It's us who think futilely. We've got to think deeply about life. And it goes on, he says, they darkened in their understanding. They live like fools. You ever live foolishly? You ever make shallow, uncalculated decisions? Alienated from the life of God. Now, there's some people who will come in here today that will walk out of here today, shrug their shoulders up at God, almost turn their backs on God, and they'll walk away from a message like this or like any other message, and they'll just say, hey, I'm I'm doing it my own way. You can talk all day, Mike, all you want, but I'm calling my own shots. And what they're doing is they're not not because they're walking away from me, they're walking away from God's Word. They're, They're alienating themselves. They're alienating themselves. There's ignorance about them. They just they don't they don't listen to sound counsel and wisdom. There's a hardness of their hearts. Now this is sad because you can find this in the book of Mark. You'll find all the way through the disciples were struggling with a hardened heart, hardened heart, hardened heart. This is something that we even as Christians today can easily become hardened in our hearts. Calloused is another word that he used. He goes on to talk about sensuality. Those Those people who live without morals. Those people who say, you know what, the moral code of conduct is good for my children, but hey, I am an adult. Or hey, sensuality, the idea that you just live off of what is sensually pleasing to you, you can just do whatever you want to do. There's no moral code. Sensuality takes over. Greed. I will say this from this stage a hundred times and never flinch. The most unconfessed, unrepented of sin in our land is materialism. And we are living in the day of it, in the season of it. I was at Sam's yesterday. All right? Just go to the mall. Just go to Walmart. Don't go to Target or a Walmart place. (laughs) Go to those other places every now and then, but check Walmart out first. But even at Walmart, you're going to find some of the most uncouth people this time of year in the season of joy and holly and folly and whatever else that, go, that goes on. But I, I make joke of that, but the reality is, is this is the life that's being lived out there. This is the life that is being offered up. This is the life that's being promoted. This is the life that's being accepted. But we as followers of Christ don't live that way. Verse 22, put off the old self. I can live like that any day. You can live like that any day. But I'm under a new order. I'm under a new direction. I'm under a new leadership in my life. And the thing is, is that I'm going to have to put it off today and then tomorrow and the next day. I'm going to struggle with sensuality tomorrow and the next day and greed tomorrow and the next day. And I'm going to struggle with a hardened heart the next day after that. I'm going to constantly be struggling with this because this is that old nature and new nature fighting it out. I'm, I'm not a germaphobe by any stretch of the imagination. You may say different, but I'm not. I know I'm not. Um, so I will shower very first thing when I get up in the morning. 
I hit the ground, I have a worn place in the carpet where I go to the shower. And that's, that's the first move I make, all right? I am worthless without it, okay? I, 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 don't, I don't feel right. There's this film that's set over me overnight, and I just need to get in the shower and wash it off. But throughout the day, and by the end of the day, even if I didn't work out, I have gathered things throughout the day. And I begin to exude other odors that Lori says that I have that need to be dealt with before I climb in the bed next to her. That requires another shower. So sometimes I'll shower two. I have showered three times a day from time to time. But the point I'm trying to make is this. As you go through life, you will pick up things. And as you go through life, you will exude things. And you will constantly be fighting the odor of the old self. And you will constantly, constantly, constantly have to put it off. Get ready. If you're not fighting that battle, you're not fighting the battle. Number two, take on a new way of thinking. I start thinking new. I start seeing life new. This is where I got to flush out the, the lies and take in the truth. When Jesus was praying for his disciples and he had... The Lord's Prayer was not Jesus' prayer. That was a model prayer. When you see Jesus praying for his disciples in John 17, you find him intensely praying for his disciples. And what he prayed for his disciples in John 17, 17 is this. Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them. That fancy big church word. Make them holy. Make them full. Make them right. Make them, make them proper. Set them straight, God. Get them closer to my glory. Get her closer to my image. Get them closer to my likeness. How are you going to do that, God? Your word is truth. So we're going to talk about a process here of me taking off. But as I'm taking off, what am I doing? I'm going to constantly be centering myself on the word of God. The word of God. This book, this ancient old text book, has such truth that it will be life-transforming. Spiritual growth, Rick Warren says again, and out of that same book I referred to earlier, spiritual growth is a process of replacing lies with truth. Now, we asked a question a year ago, and we're going to ask it again this year. If you were here, if you weren't here, we want you to participate in the survey. Take out your phones. We're going to allow you to text in church, okay? So last year, about this time, in fact, it was the week after Thanksgiving, so we're, we're within that window of time here, uh, we asked this question. We asked um, ask you, how often do you read the Bible? All right? And then we gave you several options. If you kind of got that perfect record, you got that rhythm down in life, and you read it about seven days a week, great. Then you're going to end, then that's what, about 11% in the room last year said that. Five days a week three days a week, and then I give you one, okay? If you're here on Sunday and you're paying attention and you read the verses as I'm putting them up on the screen, I'm going to give, that's like bingo, you get one free square. 20% of the people are sleeping. They didn't even take the free square, all right, last year. So please give yourself some credit. You are hopefully reading uh, the scriptures. We're going to do the same survey again. So what you're going to do is you're going to take your phone out. I'm going to do it at the same time as you. And uh, so you're going to take a blank screen and you're going to type into that little address section, 22333. All right. 
All right. And then in the message area, type in GPC, NWA, GPC, NWA. All right. And then hit send. Is that correct? All right. Hit send. Then you're going to get a reply back here in just a second. Uh, it may take a second. Yeah, there it is. All right. Uh, so then you're going to now put in your answer. Is it, do you read your Bible seven days a week, five days a week, three days a week, A, B, C, accordingly, okay? And hopefully we won't have any ease, but I will not be surprised, all right? Uh, so let's, uh, let's see what we have. This is combining two services together. This is a live survey. So we do have 3% that are still not reading even while they're here. Um, so... Maybe we're improving, okay? So this will continue to change. This is a, this is a current live survey as you, send your, as you send your text in. And you can just kind of keep watching that. Uh, the reality is, is that reading the Scripture is absolutely going to be the transforming element in your life. You have a relationship with Jesus. That's where it starts. The Spirit of God enters you at the very moment you enter into a relationship with Jesus. And at that point, you are free game. You can either go the way of Christ, the way of the Spirit, the way of truth, or you can go back to the old way, the old self. But we just read where you're you're supposed to take off the old, and you're supposed to put on the new. And the way we're going to put on the new, if you go uh, back in the Scriptures where we we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, it says that renewed in the spirit of your minds. This is where the thinking begins to change. But now let's look at Job 23, verse 12. I have treasured the words of his, uh, of his mouth more than the portion of food. I want to ask you, when was the last time you gave up food for the Word of God? Listen, if your mind is going to be renewed, if you're going to have a new way of thinking, this book has got to become a part of it. Now, I know it's daunting, it's scary to think for a moment, how do I get into this ancient book and how do I get anything out of it? I'm going to give you four ways of rethinking, all right? They're going to be pretty simple, so write them down and just let the Spirit of God begin to use them. One is read it. This book has got to be read. It will not do any good setting on your shelf. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 19 uh, says it like this. He should keep it, God's word, with him all the time and read it every day of his life. This book, if not read, will not do you any good. If it is not a part of your life, these two things hath God married and thus that man shall not part. Dust on the Bible means drought in your heart. You've got to read it. Once you read it, take a few moments after you read it. You can read it for five minutes, ten minutes. Take time to reflect on it. Just take a few moments and just zero in on one verse, one phrase of one verse. You shall meditate it on it day and night. Let that one phrase, Joshua 1.8 talks about that. You should let that one phrase just hone in on it. There's a verse in Acts for three weeks. I can't get it off my mind. Acts, three, Acts chapter 6, verse 3. I can't get it off my mind. I keep coming back to it again and again and again. Remember it, number three. You've got to put it in. Put it in for keeps. Now, I know I hear people all the time talk about how I can't remember anything. Listen, memory's a muscle. Use it. Exercise it. 
I used to know everybody's phone number in my family. I knew my aunt's phone number, distant cousin's phone numbers, people. I didn't want to remember their phone numbers. I was filling out a form yesterday, and it asked for Lori, my wife's phone number. I don't know my wife's phone number. To this moment, I don't know my wife's phone number. Why? I haven't needed to know my wife's phone number. It's number one on the dial on my phone. I tell my phone, hey, Siri, call Lori. It knows who, you know know the the game. I don't need to learn it. Listen, we need to learn the scriptures. I need to learn my wife's phone number too, but that's another message another day. We learned a verse a few weeks ago. I want to see how well you did, how well you're remembering it. Remember 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14? We spent five Sundays on it. Y'all remember it? Did anybody try to memorize it during that time? Raise your hand. Confession. Okay, let's all say it together. Impress the people next to you that didn't raise their hand. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face, will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. What a beautiful verse. You know what? I had somebody this past week come up to me and say that verse has meant this to me. You know why? They could say that because they remembered it. They put it into themselves. It became a part of themselves. Number four, represent God's word. Represent it. That means you live it out. Everyone who hears these words, Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, this is the representation now, I'm going to live them out, will be like a man who's built his house on the rock. I love it. Stability, strength, endurance, perseverance. I want that to describe me. The Word of God must be heard. The Word word must be read and it must be lived out. Listen, we're challenging you as a faith family. In your homes with your children, get get in God's Word, read it together, reflect on it together, remember it together, and represent it together. We're going to do something we've never done before in 15 years, all right? And we're rolling the dice on it. But here, we're not afraid to fall off the ground floor, so let's try it. We said before that we are going to do something on December 27th that we've never done before. It's going to be the most unique worship gathering you've ever experienced, all right? But don't come here, all right? Do not come to the Grace Point. You will be the only one here, all right? We're sending you to your homes, all right? We want you to take that Sunday and with your family, your friends, your communitas group, don't let anybody be left alone. We want you to worship as a family unit, whatever that looks like. What we're going to give you starting next week is a time capsule, all right, that has everything in this time capsule you will need as a family to worship together as a family. We'll give instructions and guide and verses, and there's other elements in here I'm going to let you kind of be surprised by. This is a, this is a time capsule that we want it to be significant because we want you to keep it and use it for future family worships. So you go on vacation. You go somewhere, pack it full of a family worship experience, take it with you, worship together as a family. Let that be December 27th, a unique day where you are helping your children, you are helping your, your, your friends, you're helping your struggling buddies and, and sisters and brothers in, in, in arms 
walk a little deeper, a little further with the Lord. There'll be more on that. Number three, for that transformation to happen, it's not just take off. It's not just align myself. But it's to step into God's closet and to put on. To put on the new self. To put on a new way of living. It says in verse 23, verse 24, excuse me, and put on the new self. What does the new self look like? Ha! Full circle. Created after the likeness of God. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I love it. We start in Genesis 1, verse 26, created in the image of the likeness of God. We fall, horrible, horrible, horrible things happen from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to you and I today. But because and if and when we have this relationship with God and we take off the old and we, and we rethink and realign our life with a new mind and a new thought pattern and we put on this new, this new look, and this new look is God. This new look is his thoughts. This new look is his attitudes. This new look is him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to what? Read it with me. The image of your creator. That's how you're being renewed. So what was fallen is being renewed. What was broken is being made whole because of what Christ has done and is doing in you. What does this mean? This means a new attitude. Read Philippians chapter 2 when you get a chance because it'll talk about having the same attitude in yourself as, as was in Christ Jesus. Realize that even down to your attitude, however stinky, smelly, or sweet it may be, should bear the image of God. Think about your work ethic. God was able to create the world in six days. I know he's God. He has an excuse. He rested on the seventh. Why do we work seven and complain about it? Listen, six days you work. The seventh you rest. What about integrity? Is there anything, 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 anything in your life that if your spouse, your best friend, your accountability brother, sister, if they knew about it, they'd call you out on it. You're hiding anything. See, holiness is not a top layer resurfacing. It's to the core of who we are. What about how you treat people? I think we would treat people differently if we were reflecting the image of God. We would treat, we would treat enemies differently. We would treat our neighbors differently. There's a lot of saber rattling. There's a lot of political jockeying right now. What are we going to do with the illegals? We're going to deport them and build walls. We're not going to let refugees in. I'm going to muddle a minute. Muslims, are they really our enemies? You hear people today talking about them as if they're enemies. No, they're not. Do they have a relationship with God as we know it through Jesus Christ? No, but they don't become our enemies in this. Jesus, in John chapter 4, if you, if you think about it for just a moment, he walked as a Jewish man in, with Jewish followers, born in a Jewish home with Jews all around him, decided to go 
through the refugee camp, if you will. Let me, let me kind of embellish that a little bit. Of going through Samaria. Going through Samaria. Nobody goes through Samaria. Half dogs live in Samaria, Jews felt. Samaritans were half dogs. They weren't even fully human. But I remember, I memorized it in the King James Version. And Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. I must. I must needs go through Samaria. How do we treat foreigners? Leviticus chapter 19, the Lord said, you must regard the foreigner who lives with you as a native born among you. I'm not trying to get on a political soapbox here, but I am trying to say, I'm trying to take a political hot topic issue that's all in the news and trying to say, how am I reflecting the image of God in that? In every area of your life, how am I reflecting the image of God in that? How am I reflecting the image of God in that? In every area of our life. I close with telling you the story of one of my heroes. I like history. I I make no bones about it. If you come to my home, in fact, right now I'm watching a a PBS series on the Roosevelt's. If I want to clear the the living room of people in my house, (laughs) I just turn on the PBS channel and start watching uh, history. But David Livingston is one of my one of my heroes of the faith, a, a pioneer, an explorer, a missionary, a doctor. He was found by 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 H uh, uh, M uh, Stanley, uh, uh, who came in to, to to Africa and found him in the middle of of the bush of Africa. And, and uh, as he went and he, he found him, he was an atheist. He was a reporter. He was an explorer. He had already gone to the Ottoman Empire and had been in prison. So this was the perfect person to get to to for a New York newspaper to get to send into Africa to find him. He found him. He spent some time with him. An atheist with a missionary in the middle of Africa. What happened? This is the words of Stanley himself. I went to Africa as prejudiced as the biggest atheist in London. But there came for me a long time for reflection. I saw this solitary old man there ask and ask myself, how on earth does he stop here? Is he cracked? I'm, I'm assuming that's whacked in, in our today's language. Or what? What is it that inspires him? For months after we met, I found myself wondering as the old man carrying out all that was said in the Bible. Leave all things and follow me. Mind you, this is the words of Stanley, not of Livingston. But little by little, his sympathy for others became contagious. My sympathy was aroused. Seeing his piety, his gentleness, his zeal, his earnestness, and how he went about his business just day-to-day life, I was converted. I was converted by him, although he had not tried to do it. I was converted by the way he lived his life. I was converted by the difference that he he lived. See, when we live a transformed life in the image, in the likeness of God, here's what I'm going to say. You will become an attractive, unique individual. Will you be laughed at, sneered at, mocked at? You couldn't be beheaded if you're living in the wrong parts of the world. 
The point I'm trying to make is this, is that absolutely the image of God is irresistible. Live it out. Let it shine forth to the people around us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? We're going to sing an old, old hymn, kind of done up different. But it's of another time when another man, a slave trader, experienced the grace of God. In that part of our life, whenever we realize it's not what it should be, and we feel shame and we feel regret, you know, again, I've stumbled. I'm living in darkness. I'm living in ignorance. I'm living in futility. Uh, futility. I, I'm living in a sensual lifestyle. I'm living greedy. I'm living all those things of the old flesh. It will be the grace of God that you experience that will call you back, that will make it right, that will make you whole again. I blew it with my kids yesterday. I lost it. People at work don't believe my faith any longer. I get it. I get it. Put on the new self. Take off the old self. Think differently today and experience the grace of God. Father, in this place, in this room, let this be a place where grace is given, grace is received, and lives are forever changed. It doesn't mean, Lord, we trample your grace underfoot. We take advantage of it. Romans 6 tells us that's the case. We cannot do that. But it should transform us. Lord, do your transforming work. Bring out your image and likeness in us again. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?